In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'm so thankful to be here this morning with all of you today. Father Ainsley's willingness to step up and help guide me in this process, and all of your willingness to join him in that process has been such a blessing for me, for Chloe, and for St. Timothy's back in North Carolina. And what a wonderful testament to the unity of the church that derives from our common faith that people from all across the country find their way into this elementary school building today, that people from all across the country are in this room simply because of a shared love, a shared relationship with the Son of God. It's something that I hope we don't take for granted. And it's only through Jesus Christ that we find this true community that brings strangers into relationship with one another and turns us into friends and family. And the work that All Souls is doing here in Florida mirrors perfectly with what St. Timothy's is doing in North Carolina. This shared commitment to worship that draws our attention toward the heavens and leaves us changed forever. And it's only possible because of our commitment to transformation through the gospel. This is demonstrated here in North Carolina and all across the country. So again, I'm thrilled to be standing here this morning. Earlier this month at St. Timothy's, we baptized an 18-year-old, and he was confirmed just seconds later when the bishop came to visit. This teenager found his way to our parish during the pandemic. He had grown up a couple times a year in the church and had become disillusioned for it. But when COVID hit, he began searching deeply, and he ended up discovering us through YouTube. So he found his way into our pew one morning and ended up bringing his entire family the next few weeks. It was a remarkable story, and it's one that I think is happening time and time again across this country. And I sat down with him one day to go through the baptismal liturgy in the Book of Common Prayer as we prepared for him to receive the sacrament of baptism. And as I, as I was going over the service with this young man, I was struck by something. The continual explicit references to death and new life in our liturgy for holy baptism. Baptism is a new birth. It is a death of the old self. And these are phrases that I think I took for granted as I grew up in the church. But as I sat down with this young man walking through them, they regained some of their original wonder for me. They were standing out once again, death and new life, death of the old self, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk with him in new life. The Christian life is a continual process of death and rebirth. It happens primarily in our baptism, but it continues to happen over and over and over again. Each and every day, we are called to die to our selfish desires. St. Paul tells us to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ Jesus. Each morning is a resurrection, the rising of the sun, an opportunity to unite ourselves with Christ and to leave our sin in the grave. And so this cycle of death and new life shades into every other doctrine we have. Everything is seen in the light of the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so we come to a story today about the prodigal son, a story no doubt we are all familiar with in some form or fashion. This parable, I think, has captured the attention of virtually every Christian writer you can think of. Countless artists, theologians, storytellers, preachers, even musicians have taken and run with this story, this parable. And I think we find it compelling not only because we find it relatable, 
but because it cuts to the heart of the gospel message. It's a story that we can look at from so many different angles. Perhaps we want to focus on the bitterness that the older brother harbors when the son returns. Perhaps we want to challenge ourselves, where do we harbor the same bitterness? Perhaps we want to focus on the love of the father, a love that even seems maybe careless at times. But today, I want us to focus on the themes of death and new life in this story, the resurrected life that the son experiences. The son demands what is rightfully his and gives in to all of his desires. He flees from the love that has been shown to him from the father, and he runs rampant. He chased after the lusts of the flesh instead. And as we read, he ends up unsatisfied, unfulfilled, and full of shame. And so as he walks back to his father, carrying this heavy weight of shame and remorse, he is greeted by a father with no ounce of disdain, but overflowing with joy, forgiveness, and love. His confession spills out, and just as he finishes it, he's cut off by his father preparing for a party. For, he says, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. His death has been overshadowed by this new birth. Grace has triumphed over his shame. How does this happen? Jesus calls each and every one of us to new birth. But where and how does this resurrection find us? I think our answer to this comes from two places today. One, from the context of this parable in the rest of Luke's gospel, and the other from the words we read from Paul to the Corinthians today. This parable occurs immediately after two other famous parables, that of the lost sheep and the lost coin, where the shepherd foregoes the 99 sheep that he knows are safe to find that one who is lost, and where the lady tears her house apart to find that one lost coin. These parables seem ridiculous from the outsider's perspective. They're not wise business decisions, but they demonstrate the radical love of God the Father, never failing to find us even when all hope seems lost. Each of these stress the faithfulness of God to continually seek us out. When we find ourselves confused and unsure of which way to turn, God never fails to seek us out, and his love always ends up finding us. This new life that the Son receives through the Father and that we receive from God comes after we become attentive to the voice of God continually prodding in the depths of our hearts. It never stops drawing us out of darkness into light, out of death into life. For we were once lost and dead and are now found and given life. Even when we think we are too far gone, we hear the quiet, firm voice of God calling us out, calling us to him. And the other way we understand this resurrection in our lives, I think, comes from Paul's words to the Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ Jesus. It is this reconciliation through Christ that matters so much, because it is Christ who takes that shame, that guilt, that remorse that we bring and that weighs us down, and he redeems it. The Father stands with arms outstretched waiting for our confession, and Jesus Christ stands ready to take on that sin and shame and carry it to the cross. To have it dead, to bury it in the grave once and for all. Christ stands ready to take it all with him 
as he defeats sin and death. All the stuff that clouds our vision over the years, the times when we give in to temptation, the times when we give in to our own selfish desires, the times when we neglect God and our neighbor, the times when we forsake our love for God in favor of our love for self, all of this is placed on the cross with Jesus Christ. All of this has been crucified, and what is left is this new life. This is the good news that the Son hears from the Father. You were once dead, but are now alive. Jesus Christ has taken away that sting of death. St. Ambrose, in his commentary on this parable, calls for us to rise and run to the church, for it is here that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. He who hears you pondering in the secret places of the mind runs to you, and when you are still far off, he sees you and runs to you. The slow, humble pace of the Son comes face to face with this hurried, frantic steps of the Father. Sin and mercy embrace, and mercy overwhelms sin. The mercy of the Father always overwhelms our sin. We are completely covered by the righteousness of Jesus. But forgiveness is not a painless process. This Son is not thrilled about what he has experienced. The forgiveness that the Son experiences comes after much pain and turmoil. We are told that he suddenly comes to his senses, that he came to himself. He is awakened to the proper state of his life. All of a sudden, his eyes are opened, and he sees loneliness around him. He sees darkness. He becomes aware of that spiritual decay that has strayed him so far from the path that he once knew. How the actions he has taken have not left him fulfilled. It is his sense of that weight of the sin that finally leads him to take the first step toward repentance. And we see him working through that. The sin he now recognizes has ultimately resulted in his death. Not a physical death, but a death described by the Father as rooted in darkness and loneliness. The Son is described as dead and lost in the very same breath. This, this death that we all experience shields us from the light we need. How often do we lock ourselves away in the darkness of our mind, trying to not let any amount of light in that casts awareness on the sin that we, that we hold. In his confession, the son offers up this loneliness. He's on his knees begging for forgiveness. This death resulted in a disorienting darkness, and he offers it to the father, and it's done away with. He not only regains his status as a slave, but as a son, and he is brought into new life. The father's love has never ceased through any of this, and it is precisely because of this love that the Son recognizes there's a path forward. He has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to open the doors of new life for us, and they stand open, beckoning us at all times and in all places toward the perfect love of God, even while we run the opposite direction. We receive this new life by being found by God, and we live into this resurrection by offering up this sin on the cross with Jesus Christ. This is what we receive in baptism and rediscover every single morning in our life. And I think this parable sticks with so many of us, not just because it encapsulates the way in which we receive our salvation in the first place, although it does that beautifully, but also because it shows this cycle that we experience through our lives. Our life is one of continual repentance and resurrection. Lent is one period of repentance, followed by the resurrection of Easter. This is what we do, not just every day, but every year. This is what the church lives into. 
How often do we find ourselves in the cycles of the prodigal son, content in the love of God for a short period, but suddenly unsatisfied, running our own direction, charging ahead unaware of the darkness that is consuming us, slowly but surely, until suddenly we come to our senses. Our eyes are opened, and we think, what have we done? Where are we? We're disoriented, confused, lonely, and ashamed. And so we drag our feet back to God, ashamed and humbled by the choices we have made. And just as soon as we can muster enough strength to spit out that confession, the love and forgiveness of God comes crashing down, overwhelming our shame and sin. The love and joy of God floods back into our life, reviving us once again. This is the story of God and sinners. The love of God never fails to find us, even in the darkest corners of our lives. Today, we pray that we would come to our senses. We pray that we would bring all of this sin and shame to Jesus Christ. The door is never closed to new life. And Jesus stands ready to crucify that sin with him on the cross. New life is offered to us today, just like it was at our baptism. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.